Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I am so glad that you are with us today and because uh, this is a special day. I have a friend and a colleague who I have so much respect for and appreciate the contribution he's made to my life as a recovering person and so many men and women who didn't understand and don't understand how we got here. How did I end up a sex addict? Why do I have these issues? What's wrong with me? And uh, Dr. Ken Adams, uh, who lives in Michigan and has an amazing practice and does workshops, wrote a couple of books that really help answer some of that in my mind. The first one, and I think one of the more uh, really prominent books in the field of psychotherapy and addiction, is a book he wrote called Silently Seduced which is about how our relationships with our moms can produce the kinds of problems that sex addiction creates. And then he went and wrote a book called Married to Mom to help all of the spouses and partners out there understand why a man might seem to continually choose his mom over his wife or his husband or his spouse. So Dr. Adams, welcome. Thanks, Ken, for coming. Yes, thanks, Rob, for having me. It's uh, always an interesting topic and one that I think bears some, some discussion. Yeah, you know, I am a sex addict, as you know, and uh, unfortunately, I had uh, a mom who was uh, incestuous to me in a variety of ways, and I could talk about that in detail, but, but you know, here I am a, a sex addict, and so uh, I guess I want to understand what that had to do with this. Why then and now? Yeah, well, good question. You know, I'll take you back to when I first stumbled upon it. When I entered the field many years ago now, working with uh, adult children of alcoholics, there were a number of adults who were also sex addicts, and I was just stumbling. Up. I just gotten out of graduate school not too long before that, and I had done some work with um, children and saw some of these school-phobic children who were overly involved and dependent uh, with their mothers and had a sense of the dynamic at that time. And I, I was seeing, and I didn't have a lot of training in sex addiction. There wasn't, you know, Pat Carnes's, Dr. Carnes's task model was not there. There was just a beginning of sex addiction treatment and I was talking to this man, a client of mine, and he was he was seeing prostitutes uh, on a regular basis uh, during the course of a week, you know, three, four, five, six, seven times. And he was very troubled and distressed about his behavior and he couldn't stop. So I asked him to tell me about it and uh, tell me about a little bit about his background. And I discovered what would happen is, is that the primary acting out would occur uh, about three or four days when he would stay with his mother because his job mm. was 
an hour and a half drive or two hours from his home, and he would stay at his home uh, three or four days. And so the primary acting out occurred during and right after the visits with the mother. And he says, what should I do? And I, I instinctively said, move out of her house right now. Right. <laughs> and of course, at that time, I didn't realize giving clients advice really didn't hardly ever work. They really don't like to be told what to do. But to my surprise, he moved out of her house and his urge, we talk about urging with addicts, his mm -hmm. urge dropped precipitously to see prostitutes. And I thought, ah, so I went mm. back in my mind and I started regathering all that information. I learned about enmeshment in families and parent-child enmeshment. And I wrote my first article uh, shortly after I worked with that man. Can you explain enmeshment? I don't know that everybody would understand even the term. So enmeshment is, is a term used in the family therapy field to describe when family members are too involved and that demands for loyalty to the family member exceed any, any interest or loyalties outside the family. In fact, relationships, including relationships with a spouse or partner, are seen as a threat. And so th this dynamic of enmeshment is when there's too much closeness as opposed to too little. I remember my mom, you know, to asking me what she should wear. I remember my mom's talking to me about my dad and their love life. And, and I remember her talking about how unhappy she was. And I remember her waking me up sometimes because she was lonely and she wanted someone to talk to. Is that kind of the stuff you're talking about? Well, absolutely. You know, that's part of the dynamic when, it, so there, there are two levels. There's over-involvement, emotional caretaking of the parent feeling responsible. And then there's the child, like you just described, being pulled into the loneliness of the parent as a result of the absent father in this case. And mm -hmm. so oftentimes at that juncture, there's, there's a line that gets crossed that we call covert incest, mm -hmm. where there's an incestuous dynamic without any physical sexual touch, but the, but the son becomes the mother's boyfriend, becomes mm -hmm. the sexualized object, becomes the uh, husband, uh, replaces the husband role. He takes on the assignment of being her good, loyal lover. And so he her, but I never, I mean, that, I don't think many of the people I work with were lovers to their moms. What do you mean by lover? Well, lover in the sense of being loyal. I will never hurt you, mommy. I will never leave you. Mommy. When I speak a lover, I don't mean, mm -hmm. I don't mean sexual contact. I mean, becoming the beloved, oh. becoming the lover for your mother, becoming the stable object. You get dressed up. So I, we have, we have stories like yours. Other guys go out on dates with their mothers. Uh, when they're uh, young adolescent boys, they get dressed up, they go to the show, they go to dinner. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it can go that far. But even even if it doesn't go that far, there still is a a sense of responsibility emotionally and romantically, therefore sexually, by the way. So if there's a romantic tie, I, I have stories of guys who sound like they're their mother's surrogate boyfriends or husbands. They have all the all the trappings of that. And so what happens is, is the son begins to feel disloyal when he begins to have a crush with somebody at school. Oh mm -hmm. no. And he gets anxious. He gets conflicted. And so he, he, instead of pursuing the young girl or the young boy who he has, has fallen in love with, say, for example, he hides it because he doesn't dare show independence with his own romantic interest. And instead, what he'll do 
stay loyal to the mother, and then act out sexually on the side. Prostitution, masturbation, pornography, anonymous encounters, all are common with mother and mesh men because they're not disloyalty to the mother. One of the things that occurred to me when you're talking about was fantasy and how even before being sexual, I think fantasy is a way, or maybe as a part of being sexual, if I fantasize about others, but I don't actually get emotionally involved with them, then I'm not cheating on my mom. Exactly. Um, same as the prostitute, same as anonymous sex, exactly. That's that's such a complicated, you know, I mean, so many boys would say, well, I was just a good son. I just did, I mean, what, you know, I can, I'm thinking now, well, what, what did the kid do wrong? I mean, what, the kid must, I mean, I'd be thinking, well, wait a minute, I didn't mean to end up with these problems. I was just being a good son. Is there anything I could have done to make it different? Is there, you know, I love my mom. She wasn't a bad person. Mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of work with that dynamic? Well, you know, that's a good question. And one of the things that, that separates out somebody being a helpful son from somebody who has been burdened with this uh, enmeshed, incestuous um, entanglement is the tremendous amount of guilt, responsibility, mm -hmm. and disloyalty feelings they have. And I, I remind guys at that time that um, it is the parent's job to celebrate their independence from them. It is the parent's job to live with the grief of having their child move away from them. It is not the son's job to not leave. It mm -hmm. is his job to leave and to emancipate. So the word emancipation is important here because emancipation refers to that my identity emotionally, relationally, and sexually is different from you, mom. I am leaving you and I'm going to go fall in love with somebody else. So, Kim, one of the things I was thinking about when you talked about all that was how how hard it must be to then get in an adult relationship. I remember, you know, when I was starting to date, my mother didn't like anyone I dated. There wasn't anyone, no woman, no man, didn't matter who I was going out with. They were never right. And I thought, well, it's because I'm gay or it's because I'm too young or because she isn't Jewish or, she, or he isn't this or... It wasn't any of those things. It was that she couldn't stand. She couldn't tolerate. Well, I don't want to speak for your mother, but common dynamic is the mm -hmm. the mother is on, the mother has bonded with the son inappropriately out of her own loneliness, and so the son's departure means she faces a double loss. One, just to live, just to have to deal with the grief of your son moving away, which is right. true of all parents, right? I mean, sure. It's, it's both a, it's both an exciting and a sad it's moment. A, it's a joy and a and a sadness. Yeah, but, but then she has to face the loneliness that she's been escaping by using the son as her own addictive object. Hmm. And the son is in a bind, and he has to learn to say, no, my responsibility is to live my life separately from you. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't go back and help her or maybe adjust, but he no longer listens to her complaints about her husband. Hmm. He doesn't fill her loneliness needs. He he is committed to his own journey and his own partner and his own uh, romantic interests. And so one of the other common denominators that you see with these guys is the partners and the spouses complain endlessly about feeling as if they're second fiddle. Mm -hmm. It's the most common dynamic because the man is stuck in his ambivalence. And so acting out is coming back to the topic mm -hmm. at hand here. So most of these men are very ambivalent when it comes to commitment. You know, and um, so what they'll do is they'll put one foot in the commitment with the new right. woman or the new romantic partner, keep one foot in with the mother, the family of origin, the mother, but not both feet. 
So, so let me get this. I'm picturing uh, one of my clients, for example, who would say maybe uh, I was getting ready for dinner. The kids were getting ready. I was putting dinner on the table. My wife was just home from work. And then my mom called and she needed something and I had to leave. Exactly. And, and then on the way back, he stops at a massage parlor or he goes on and exhibits or does something really inappropriate sexually and then goes home and doesn't even understand why he had that urge to go and do that. He was angry. He was mm. angry and burdened, and he did not have any space within himself that was just his own. So not only did he feel burdened by his mother, but then he transfers those feelings of being engulfed, mm. smothered, and burdened onto his wife and family. So he feels trapped through both. Now both worlds become burdensome. Mm. He doesn't feel as if his commitment is a free commitment so he says if i go to the prostitute i'm free right i'm choosing this i get to do this so i'm in control i'm in control i discharge my anger mm -hmm. i declare my independence and all i gotta do is pay you and i can leave and i have no emotional burden connected to you and that can be fantasy it can be pornography it can be anonymous encounters it could be the replication of say involvement with a married woman so maybe in part, you know, what we deal with as sex addiction and all of its different forms for some of the men we work with is it's a place to go that can be mine. Like, exactly. You mm -hmm. know, I, rem I mean, I, I hear so many clients and I can remember thinking, well, you know, when you go into masturbation, when you go into porn, when you go into hooking up, with, I mean, this is a place where I control the situation. Nobody is around that I know. I, I'm doing my own thing. It's almost like a teenager who's like, you know, or a kid who's riding his bike without training wheels for the first time, except that's not really the right way to do it. Precisely. Yeah. And it, particularly with men uh, or women, I'll just come back to women for a minute, but men who have been burdened with their mother's needs for romantic partnership is they get to say, you know, I don't, I don't have to be obligated to this fantasy or to this acting out. I'm free. I'm free. And oftentimes they may be very aroused, very sexually potent in a non-committed situation. Mm -hmm. It can be very under aroused and non-potent, almost neutered in an intimate situ situation. Remember now when, when a young boy who, uh, and, and most of the boys who get trapped in this happen to be sensitive sensitive souls, right? They tend to be the more empathic child, not the kid who says, I don't want to bother with you. I'm going out and playing hell with you. These are the kids who have a lot of empathy. Well, isn't, and, isn't that the kid the mother picks? I mean, if she's got three exactly, kids. Exactly. Uh -huh. exactly. She showed, she'll lean on the child who has the most empathy. And naturally, the kid with the empathy notices the mother's loneliness and he'll start to, are you okay, mommy? And before you know it, she, you know, she doesn't want to turn down his attention. And she uh, consciously or otherwise wheels him into feeling loyal and obligated to her love loss. So he has to declare something. And so it's not so simple to say, oh, I just, I just was emotionally tied to my mother, but sexually I can be free. Right? It doesn't quite work that way. You know, sexuality is always tied primarily to our early caretaking experiences, orientation aside, right? That the way it evolves is linked to the, the primary caretaking relationship. So if, I, if I'm burdened by my mother's loneliness and I, I want to get away, what do you think happens when that person bonds, when I bond with a woman or a man, an adult? I want to get away. So I can commit to you emotionally, new, new romantic partner, 
but I'm going to hold a part of myself back, and that's my sexuality. You're not going to get all of me. Or it's incestuously a taboo. I feel repulsed by you, but turned on by the anonymous encounter or turned on by the prostitute, turned off by you. And so what happens is the sexuality has never quite become, is never the man's. It's not integrated. Exactly. One of the things I, I love hearing from um, my work, I do a workshop for men who are, and starting to want, do one for women too, who are meshed with their mothers. Mm-hmm. And we basically, what I tell guys is we have one job to do in the workshop and one job only. That is to finish the emancipation project, mm-hmm. to, to create a new emotionally freedom. And we get, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've heard literally from the spouses saying, I had the best sex with him when he got back from the workshop. Well, I, can, now, I, can't, plug- I can't promise that with guys, oh. but <laughs> that's a really good plug for your workshop, Ken. I'm going to, you're going to, well, I, I have to be careful because there's no guarantee, but I know what they're saying. They're saying, I've got a man in my bed, not a boy. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. You know, it's funny that you are saying this in the way you're saying it, because I talk, you know, when I sit around and talk to the people I, I, uh, I've known for a while in this field, we, we kind of say that a lot of the work we have done over the years is, and it's, it's really fascinating you're saying this, because we, you and I have not talked about it, that a lot of the work we do is turning boys into men over and over and over again. Exactly. And I think what you're saying is that sexuality gets split off in some way, in a young child, maybe to be safe, it becomes my own precious little thing that I can hold on to for myself that mom can't take from me. But 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 here's a really good one for you. I mean, why wouldn't I just go out and marry? Well, two questions. Number one is many of the clients I have, their moms are no longer around. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their mom died 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So why are they still acting this way? Well, that's a good question. You know, so there, you know, emancipation involves, separation involves two things. It involves external boundaries. So if mom's gone, there's an external boundary. I don't have to run over and change her light bulb, right? Mm. But, but if, if I played the role of her surrogate husband from the age of five to the age of 15, that's 10 years of your relationship, emotional and sexual template being laid down inside of you by that relationship. Those are primary, primary years. They don't go away, right? They, they become the narrative, right? We all have a narrative. We have a story, right, mm-hmm. that we carry within us. It includes the way we ex- who we're attracted to, the way we experience intimacy, whether we uh, are, are, you know, approach avoidant, you know, we, we kind of go up and touch the person but want to get away really quickly, or maybe we're very anxious and we're preoccupied, but we all have a sort of a narrative about how we how we carry ourselves romantically. And so that isn't going to go away just because your mother has passed on. Mm. And in fact, probably what's happened is you probably have created surrogates, too much work, maybe married or gotten involved with the wrong person who feels just like your mother, or you can't differentiate my feelings. This is from the past. Are you really engulfing me or is this a normal commitment? 
And a lot of men have a hard time figuring out how to parse out being free in a commitment. So the, the damage has been done. Mm-hmm. In, in, in the workshop, and I don't mean to over-promote the workshop, but just to give you an example, the workshop is primarily designed not on external boundaries between the son and the mother, but an internal restructuring of how he carries his feelings about romance. Your word template, I always I think, is a good one. You know, I, when I talk about these issues, I try to say to folks, hey, you know, birds imprint, right? They, exactly. If I had a little chickadee around and it thought I was its mom, it would follow me forever if it imprinted on me. And that's, and we kind of imprint as humans only in a much broader scale in terms of the feelings around our relationships and the tensions and the comfort level and the familiarity and it all. And, and this leads me to our next question, which is if I were, and I am, uh, a mother enmeshed man, Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be likely that I would choose someone who a as a partner who is a either incredibly controlling and you know kind of just like mom, male or female, or would I be more likely to choose someone who's really passive and kind of lets me run the shop, you know, so that I can go and do what I want to do and not feel like I'm uh, stuck with mom? Or like, is there any predictor for who I might end up choosing as a partner? Does this relate to that? Well, it does relate to it, and that's a very good question, and. You, you know, romance is a funny thing, right? I mean, who we get attracted <laughs> to and how it blooms and then how it begins to struggle. And there are a lot of factors, and we would probably, you, you know as well as I, it's probably, it's probably hard to reduce it to one dynamic. But I think we can talk a little bit about this in, in terms of the a man who's enmeshed with his mother who might also be a sex addict, right? Very aroused by non-committed situations, right? So if we were to take the the common um, mother mesh man sex addict, what, one of the things that they share fairly frequently is high arousal to situations that do not involve emotional commitment, under arousal to situations that do. And that was an overgeneralization, but it holds true. So he may have picked up a perfectly good partner, you know, an adult woman or an adult man who's got her own independence and doesn't particularly want to be his mother, wants to be close. But the man might project onto her or him mm-hmm. feelings as if you act just like my mother. So, in other words, he Therefore, might start feeling trapped. Yes, and he and he's not trapped. She just wants to go to the movies. Make up your mind. Right. You want to go here or you want to go there, man. Right. So and so, she wants a normal commitment from the man. Just mm-hmm. make up your mind. What do you want mm-hmm. to do, man? He begins to experience it as if the mother is demanding something from him. Mm-hmm. So he may make her or him his mother, but she may not be it. Now, there are times at which you can see one of the two extremes you talked about, where you pick somebody who really is controlling and dominating. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, you're drawn to that because it's familiar, familiar, but also she gets to help you pull you away from your mother. Yeah, I, I want to say that to everybody. And, and I think it's important for this conversation is that uh, our partner choice is not doomed because of how we grew up. Um, no. no. And, and I and I push back a lot, Ken, as you know, about the against the idea of codependency. And uh, I don't really believe in the term because I was thinking recently how comforted I am that people who have troubled childhoods can find other people who had troubled childhoods because and love them each other because 
a lot of the clients I work with, if they found a healthy person who was emotionally available and, you know, uh, responsive and engaged, they would run the other way. <laughs> they have to ease into a relationship with someone who has a sort of familiar dynamic to them. And then hopefully the couple can grow together. Exactly. No, I, I think so. And I think the understanding your story allows you to alert your partner and yourself to when it's intruding. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, uh, my reaction to you and my distancing from you isn't about you. I, I mistook you for my mother. Right. <laughs> you, you were right to ask me to make up my mind. That's a normal, uh -huh. a normal request. It's the job of the mother of mesh man sex addict is if he reacts strongly to his partner or spouse and begins to cascade backwards into those old feelings, acting out sexually becomes an issue. As a, as a temptation, I mean, because mm -hmm. he now feels trapped again. His mother might be 20 years dead, right? But mm -hmm. he's back mm -hmm. in the old, back to your question, he's back in his old feelings. And so he all of a sudden acting out now looks attractive to him. I've got to restore my sense of self. I have to find a way to discharge my anger. And so now I'm back urging, wanting to see a prostitute or have anonymous encounters again. And I'm wondering how that also might set him up for feeling just like he did with his mom, meaning I go out and I have the sexual experience because I'm wanting my independence and my sense of self back. But then I feel obligated and terrible that I've let my partner down when they needed me. And that must feel a lot like how I felt with my mom when I let her down all the time because I never could have been everything she needed. Well put. And then what he does is he goes back out of that sense of guilt, both from his shame of acting out but also by disappointing the woman. And he declares more emotional loyalty to his partner out of his guilt, but not realizing it backfires because not that he, he can't. Yeah. Then he feels trapped again, even more so by his own behavior, by his own behavior and his own narrative. That's why it's so important that the, that the man works on changing the way he carries his story inside of him. And I wanted to speak briefly to solution right there um, because you've said it several times and, you know, I like to give people an idea of how they can get better. And one of the things that I really hear you saying very clearly is that it's kind of an inside job that the man has to come to terms with uh, almost being more observing of himself. Like, oh, I'm not wanting to really go to the store <laughs> right now and maybe have sex with a stranger. I'm really feeling kind of trapped here because my wife wants me to, or my husband wants, somebody wants me to do all this stuff at home and I just want to run away. Like he has to get to the point where he can observe that rather than just acting on it. And a lot of the guys I work with will say, well, I just got horny or I just felt like getting laid or I, they don't recognize that there are triggers. And in this case, triggers may be involving their relationship that leaves them wanting to run away. And you're saying they have to kind of rise above that with knowledge and insight to be able to observe what they want to do, but not act on it. Exactly, exactly. And, it, and, it, and part of the prevention, uh, particularly with the group we're speaking of, is to learn to have some new skills. So a good, strong no, I'm not available to help you right now. <laughs> Mother, spouse, friend, work, mm -hmm. you know, because what, what, what mother enmeshment will often do is they'll overcommit. And they'll say, they'll say yes when they haven't even considered whether they should say no. So it, it seems such a simple exercise or a simple skill, but it's very difficult for the mother mesh man not to obligate himself to all responsibilities. Then at one point, he, he begins to get angry and he begins to feel suffocated by his own 
level of responsibility and commitment and then acting out becomes an option for him. And, and there's, it can be, uh, it can be a, a set of commitments and people and events that are, that don't involve romance, right? And he becomes smothered by his own life. He becomes engulfed by his unwillingness to say, no, I'm not available for you today for that. And I have to practice this with my wife too. You know, I came by this topic honestly myself, you know, and sometimes my wife will want me to do, you know, five things and I have or two extra things before I go out the door. And, you know, like the good, dutiful mm-hmm. husband and, you know, just sort of wanting to be loving, I'll say yes. But then I, I realize I don't get to the three things I needed before I go to work. And some I've been learning lately. I, just, I have to continuously practice this. And I think it's always, which is where the 12-step philosophy comes in. It's one day at a time, right? These kind of skills are a daily wow. commitment. And so I have to say, you know, I've been at this for 30 years myself. And I have to say, no, hon, I can't get to it. I can't write something on the list for you today. I can't do that for you today. I got to go. And it's hard for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's hard because I worry about disappointment, mm-hmm. retaliation, unavailability. Abandonment. Abandonment, you know, and will I still be loved? And so, but so the, the mother of Mesh Man has to, one day at a time, learn to live within some limits. I wanted to make sure that we covered women a little bit. And, and I have kind of a take on women who are in this area or a thought about it, having, you know, I've set up a few women's treatment programs. And, um, it seems to me, and I really would love your opinion on this because this is truly my hypothesis, but when I, having worked with so many people with a compulsive and addictive sexual disorders that when I work with men, we seem, I seem to see a greater percentage of what you call covert incest and enmeshed uh, parental situations where the man kind of loses his sense of self and his self becomes so wrapped up around that parent. Could be a father. You know, I remember... Uh, Tiger Woods saying that, you know, he didn't exist to his father unless he was performing in golf and his father would only love him when he was successful and had a good shot and he wouldn't talk to him when he did, you know, that kind of, again, only, I'm only important when I perform for my parent. Mm -hmm. Um, But with women, I often, I think women tend to accommodate, my guess, some of this kind of enmeshment a little bit better because they're more relational and it isn't invading on them as much as men what I do see with women is much more overt incest, where it seems like the women that we get in treatment have been more often than not physically abused, touched. They had some kind of sexual thing that it that it seems that female sex addicts have it a little bit worse in terms of actual physical contact or overt incest. And men tend to struggle more with, as you said, covert or emotional incest. Is that uh, just kind of guesswork on my part, or do you see anything... I think you're probably right, particularly in the sexually addicted or sex and love addicted population of women. However, I'll make this caveat for you and for your listeners. A lot of women who maybe aren't sex addicted may have some relational addiction, relationship problems, who are married to their mothers, right? And that is sometimes so so enmeshed with their mothers, if you will. They're their mother's best friend, their mother's caretaker. And the mother has used the daughter in some ways similar to the son without this sort of the romantic uh, elevation of being the surrogate lover, but takes on everything else. And so you won't see the sexual acting out per se, but what you'll see, and, and, and I think the culture supports that. The culture says, 
you daughter, you are responsible for your mother, right? There's a sort of cultural assignment there. And you, you, I think you reference relational. But I have to tell you, those women have a lot of eating disorders. Mm. They struggle with their own independence. Their husbands are in the backseat to the mothers just as the other way around. Mm. And they wind up absorbing the mother's needs for care and emotional support at a cost to their own independence. The very mm. same dynamic. So they, they too have a similar issue. So I think, I think yes, in the, if, if, if you went and looked at the female sex and love addict population, mm-hmm. you'd see a high incident of overt incest. If you look at the male sex addicted population, certainly you'll see overt sexual abuse, but you'll see a lot of covert. So you're correct. Right. That generalization holds true. But if you look at another sample, of mm-hmm. women who say have eating disorders or what we call used to call codependency, caretaking behaviors. There you will see a lot of women who are their mother's best friend at a cost of their own life. That isn't to say that you can't hang out with your mother, even as a son, and have an adult relationship, but these are not adult relationships. My last actual question to you is, why haven't you written Married to Dad? or silently seduced for women? Well, I, 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 need, a, I need a female um, protagonist, another author, and I've been looking around because I don't have, I think it requires, I think it requires the observations I've made, but ultimately I think the material has to be vetted through the eyes of a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if, so, on, so in due respect to all my colleagues, I, I'm sure there's lots of exceptions, but as you can, as you might imagine, women who are enmeshed with their mothers become good caretakers, and one of the professions that they get drawn to is being therapist. Mm-hmm. So it's I, I'm looking. I, I'm always on the lookout for a, a colleague, a, a female colleague, who who knows this story but is moved away from her story and separated from her mother and is her own woman. So that's really critical. I'm looking. So to all your listeners, I'm looking for that therapist to help me write I, that book. I'm going to put that out there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is Doctor Doctor Ken Adams, who is um, really someone I admire tremendously. He's written books like Silently Seduced and Married to Mom, which are really about enmeshment with a parent that so often leads to sex addiction and uh, intimacy problems in the people that I work with and Ken works with. And ladies, he is, if you're a therapist out there who's been enmeshed with a mom or dad or has had overt or covert incest, and you know your story and you've had about 20 years of therapy, Ken would like to talk to you about (laughs) writing a book. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, Dr. Adams, where can people get a hold of you if they want to attend a workshop or they want to find your books? How do they? And I know they will. Simplest way is just to use drkenadams.com, drkenadams.com, probably the easiest to remember. And they can find your books, all of that stuff there. DrKenAdams.com. Well, I sure hope you will join me again and we can talk some more because there's a lot of issues here to chew on. And and I want to talk more about how to work our way out of that kind of dynamic because it's, as you said, it's a lifelong process. It doesn't just get fixed. And uh, we struggle with it every day. Uh, Folks, thank you so much, Dr. Ken Adams, for joining us. And I look forward to talking to you really soon. Thank you. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. 
There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.